welcome to the Flying Solo podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. I'm your host, Robert Gerrish. Flying Solo is an Australian online community and home to stacks of free resources, discussion forums, professional development tools, and a whole lot more. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. My guest is Marlene Parker, today a writer, painter, and teacher, joining us from her base in WA. Marlene discovered the power of creativity toward the end of her career as a scientist, and indeed it was instrumental in her recovery from seven years of chronic fatigue syndrome. Creativity also prolonged her husband's life while suffering from cancer, and it literally saved her daughter's life while she battled severe mental illness. She's now a very successful young photographer, incidentally. Our topic today is why we all need a creative outlet. Marlene, thank you for joining us. I'm delighted to be here, Robert. Terrific. Well, look, from that intro, it's pretty clear that having creativity in your life has been absolutely essential. But I'm intrigued. Why did you start out as a scientist? I started out as a scientist basically from fear. I was afraid of the creative process. I hadn't done art in high school as a result of that fear. Um, Everyone else seemed better than me, so I thought, if I can't be the best, I will just do the thing that if you study, you can do well in it, and science seemed to be that. So it was basically just a a fear-driven thing, Hmm. which sounds a bit pathetic, really, but that's that's what happened to me. (laughs) Well, I guess it only sounds pathetic, kind of looking at it from where you are now, but I'm sure an awful lot of people listening and an awful lot of people who aren't listening are are doing what they're doing for the very same reason. You know, they ended up there because of fear or their parents told them they couldn't do that. You can't make a living out of that. I mean, I got thrown out of art in year three. The teacher said, you're useless. Go and do something else. (laughs) And, you know, that didn't do my creative career much good uh, for a little while. Okay, so look, and you you were in science for a good part of your career. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, I I basically accumulated um, a number of degrees in science. I think I was trying to, um, you know, just I thought the more degrees I have, perhaps the better I'll get. And I was an appalling scientist. I I can't add up. Uh, Statistics just absolutely boggles my brain. And I can't do the same thing repeatedly, accurately, which is kind of the basis of of medical research, which is what I was doing. Mm. Um, And really the only thing I was good at in in that whole field was organizing big clinical trials because I I do work well with people. And and so, yeah, it was was kind of a disaster, but I, I got through it and I have a master's in medical science and the discipline of science, the rigor of Western, you know, the Western model of science is, is quite uh, good for the mind, especially one as monkey mind as mine. Mm. Well, so I, I don't regret those years. But. No, okay. Uh, but, um, and also just hearing what you're saying there, I think, you know, I breathe a c- collective sigh of relief that you're no longer a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> but what was it that, um, what actually turned the corner for you? When did you say, right, enough of this, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm going to go off and explore my creative side? What was the, the sort of catalyst for that? It wasn't quite as direct as that. I took a fairly circuitous route to visual art, which is where I'm, I am now. Um, I, the route took me through the performing arts. My husband, my late husband, was a musical director and uh, a composer, and we used to sing together a fair bit. And when I kind of gave up medical research, um, I sort of was at his side running his shows for him and singing with him on stage and so on and so forth. Um, I got very sick uh, doing that, even though it was a fulfilling life. It was kind of a crazy one. 
and um, I developed chronic fatigue syndrome and left um, the town in which we were living, which is Perth, and looking for a sea change and a quieter life. And fortunately, he came with me. Um, and we moved to a coastal town in Western Australia called Albany, which is where I decided um, that I would do something that I'd never had the courage to do before, which is study art. And I thought, I have nothing to lose now because I'm not strong enough to do anything else. I couldn't hold down a job. So I told my lecturers that, you know, some days I won't be able to come in because I won't be able to walk. Some days I couldn't hold a cup. <laughs> I was that weak, you know. And my first day of lectures, I, I walked in on a walking stick because I, I needed it to support myself. But um, that, that was sort of how I came to the visual arts uh, from, from science. It was this long, funny route. Wow. And do you believe that it was, it was through your growing sort of love of art and creativity that, that actually allowed you to move away from chronic fatigue? Is, that, is, it, was it, is it that kind of straightforward? Uh, no, nothing no, okay. straightforward. Okay. I wish it were because mm. then everyone who has, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome can just sort of become... Do the same thing. You know? Yeah, do the same mm. thing and it'll be, it'll be okay. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a complex disorder and um, so there isn't really a straight answer. But I remember one of the GPs that I saw in that terrible path to trying to find uh, a, a, a way out of it, you know, and people suffering from it would, would know that path. It's, it's a horrible one. Um, said to me, looked deeply into my eyes and said to me, do you have an outlet for your creativity? And I thought, what a ridiculous question. And would you just go away? You know, what does that have to do with, you know, me finding a cure? And I said uh, no and sort of mumbled something and changed the subject. But that question stayed with me for a long time. And I think what he saw was a person who was fairly locked, in internally locked. Hmm. And... Um, and he had the sort of insight to perhaps see that. And even though I was involved in creative work at the time, but it was my husband's creative yeah, work. Yeah, okay. Well, not your own. Yeah. yeah. Not my own. And there was sort of from there, it was, it was a gradual process of um, uh, the, the mysterious process, really, of unlocking one's creativity that led me towards a path of wholeness. And that wholeness embraced many things, you know. I, it wasn't just... Um, my health it was was many things and and it took it you know it's sort of a cliche but it took me on a journey um mm. that led me to health um mm. so, okay yeah. so fascinating so today where you you spend a large part of your time teaching people mm. um to be more creative to paint to draw to do other other things um do you see in front of you a number of people that have got that same lock Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I, mm. I, I could talk just about that, you know, forever. The, the things that I see, because I, my niche group is people who are complete beginners, and I take them in one day. I help them unlock that creativity. And by the end of the day, they've, they've created four paintings. But what I see in the very beginning is usually people who are quite nervous. They're, they're in an unnatural environment. You're sitting with a group of, you know, 14 other people that you don't know. You're mm. expected to make some wonderful art. They may have read the testimonials on my website and they think, oh my God, this is a great workshop, but, you know, perhaps I won't, be, I'll be one of those people who is basically a dud and, you know, can't access my creativity. All sorts of things are going yep. through their mind and I can sort of see it because I was there um, at one time. And uh, by the end of the day, 
the uh, transformation that occurs in their faces, in their bodies, in their whole beings, the joy that I see is is transformative for me each and every time. I'm kind of addicted to it. Mm, I bet you are. Yeah, so it's, it's just it's just amazing. It actually just is mm. really amazing to witness this in other people. Okay, so let, let's let's kind of keep that theme for a moment. As you say, witnessing that in other people. So, what for somebody listening who's nowhere near Albany in WA, and um, unfortunately, I'm, if, I'm actually in Perth in WA. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. all right. I but let's back. all right. <laughs> let's imagine we're speaking to someone who's nowhere near you, so that unfortunately. Sure. Not going to come necessarily and and um, you know benefit from one of your yeah. courses. What sure. what are some of the what are some of the blocks that um, we should or that people might recognise and um, you know what what is it that's actually stopping them from embracing that creativity and together in the time that we have can we help people unlock that a little bit? Maybe let's let's give it a shot. Okay. I'm, I can I can tell you what the blocks were that I had because I was one of those those people. And uh, so I'm really familiar with it, um, you know, most of my mm. life. I was yep. really creatively blocked. And I think the sort of things that blocked me um, were a fear of failure. That was a gigantic thing for me. The fear that I wouldn't be uh, good and so I didn't attempt it. Um, the fear that um, the lack of structure that the creative process seems to have, it seems very unbounded, unboundaried. And that is a little frightening for many people. Mm. Um, and perhaps this sort of the burden of expectation, you know, the, sort of the great expectation that you're going to, that you have to make something wildly wonderful if you, if you express your creativity. Those it, things blocked me. Okay. And it's quite bizarre, isn't it? Because particularly if you talk about the visual arts, I mean, what is good? Where's the exactly. measure? You know, where, where do you find a book that says this is good and this isn't good? I mean, if yeah. you walk around any modern or classic gallery you'll see such diverse approaches to art how can anybody yeah. say it's good or not good it's yeah absolutely i'm right there with you yeah hmm. okay so the but then what what other things do you see is there anything else in particular so fear is clearly one of the main things this this concern that it's not going to be any good um yeah. is there is there a fear that i might just love this is that also a fear for some people that they might get swept away or Perhaps um, I, that is one of my current fears. I, okay. I don't. I don't actually paint all the time. I'm not one of those artists that sort of, you know, has a, a practice where I paint every single day. And the reason I don't is because it's quite consuming for me. Mm. And one, one has to, you know, sort of engage in paperwork and uh, pay bills and do groceries and cook meals. And quite often, um, when I'm painting, everything else falls away. Um, and especially when I was looking after my husband um, with cancer at home for, for four years, um, painting was uh, something that I had to really kind of put into a, a, a box and, and say, right, I, I sort of can't do this right now because, uh, you know, if I do this, I can't be in that hypervigilant state for him. Mm. And uh, so I can understand that the consumingness of the creative process can be a thing for some people, but that's where we kind of have to be a little disciplined and, you know, allocate time for it. Something I'm not very good at. Mm. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, look, allocating time is something we all struggle with. I must tell you at this juncture that my, my dear wife is a, is a painter and Oh, really? um, yeah, and um, and whenever she's um, got the easel up and she's working, my son and I have to go up and say, "Mum, it's, it's like it's ten o'clock at night. 
could we eat soon? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's completely not not that my wife yeah. is totally responsible for the cooking, of course, <laughs> but um, it gets completely swept away. So, but for, again, for someone listening who may not think that they're necessarily um, that they're not honouring the creative within. Yeah. And and saying, you know, as we did at the outset, that your belief is that we all need a creative outlet. So painting is one of them. I know you also, you've, you've, you've worked, you've sung, or particularly with Greg, you're doing a lot of singing. Uh, you do a lot of writing as well. How do we, how could somebody who's perhaps not really opened that door at all, what's a, what's a good way just to get started, whether it's painting, writing, singing, or whatever, what, what, what would you say to that person? Well, I would say to that person to have a think about what um, what they're drawn to, because not not everyone is drawn to um, the visual arts, for example. And the the notion that everyone is creative is not necessarily one that um, everyone actually agrees with. Hmm. For a start, you know, so you have to get over that hurdle first. Perhaps could I just address that idea first? Um, hmm. This idea that that everyone is creative or not or not everyone is creative, um, because I think everyone has the capacity to create, and it's just, it's a bit like everyone has the capacity for generosity or Mm. uh, courage or loyalty or kindness, but we don't necessarily use it all the time. Mm. And the more we use it, the more it grows. So creativity is just like that. And you you kind of have to think, okay, what am I drawn to? If I'm not drawn to the visual arts, if I'm not drawn to um, color and paint and all of that sort of thing, well, perhaps I love gardens. Perhaps Mm. I love flowers. Perhaps I enjoy making a meal for my friends. Um, And the creativity in cooking nourishes people. You know, it it could be the most wonderfully creative outlet because it's, you know, it's affecting people's stomachs, which is, Probably the best thing yeah. to do. <laughs> Look, I think that's a very good point, and it's it's a lovely way to just um, acknowledge that creativity shows up in so many ways. It's interesting when I was yeah, hearing, you, hearing you talk there, when you talk about creating something, yeah. that just there's no pressure in creating. And I can go outside and create a noise. I can create a mess. Um, I can create quite easily. But once you say, "Are you being creative?" It sort of it yeah. puts a bit more weight on it, doesn't it? It Whereas, does. It does, and that that weight is not. It doesn't serve us. No. That the weight of creativity doesn't serve us. It stopped me from exercising my creativity for for, for forty years, basically. I mm. only discovered it around the age of forty, um, and um, it, it it really we ignore it to our own peril, I think. Hmm. Now you mentioned also in uh, I was reading it on um, on your website about your courses. You talk about um, the beginner's mind. Could yeah. you t- and to some extent, I think you've probably already sort of gone into in that direction. But can you explain that a little more to us? What do you mean by the beginner's mind? Uh, well, for me, I mean I I think books are read, written about the beginner's mind, but for me, the beginner's mind is a mind that is um, you know full of fear basically full of full of anxiety um and uh, and is um sort of in an in the space of uncertainty and that uncertainty really bothers them and what i teach in my classes is take that uncertain uncertainty and just lean right into it because if we live in a space of certainty all the time we're going to make very boring art hmm, we're, we're going to turn into ourselves. scientists aren't we yeah well exactly <laughs> <laughs> 
I hope one of my professors never hears this. No, don't call. worry. No, we're not, we're not we're not big with the professors. Don't worry. Very few listeners. But yeah, so that that space of certainty, um, you know, is the opposite of a beginner's mind because you're full of uncertainty, and it's a really a wonderful space to be in because the world is full of possibilities. Then, mm. and uh, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna repeat ourselves. We're going to make something new and wonderful each time. Mm. And tell so, me, yeah. when you started then in in this. In your your own sort of personal path, which I uh, you know has now, which was somewhat accidental, you were doing it initially because you were not well and you were helping Greg, so it's a very familiar scenario for us at Flying Seller. We hear lots of people who who have what we call the accidental businesses, yes, sort yes. of fall into something, yeah. And then so what happened there then is you you realize that actually, hey, this is doing something for me. This is yeah. Where where did you in, apart from your health, which I know is is one, but where else did you start to um, notice that? Once you really embraced creativity, that other aspects of your life and work were improving. What sort of things can you remember? Well, initially, it made me a terrible mother, I have to say, because my, my little girl was nine years old at the time. And I remember her saying to me while I was busily engaged in making something, um, uh, some painting or something that I was doing. And, and she said, Mom, do you love your art more than you love me? Oh, that would have hurt. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. And I had to lie and say, no, no, of course I don't, darling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it gave you a bit of a wake-up call with your parenting, but you'd, I'm assuming you got through um, that okay. Yes, I did. No, she's wonderful now. But mm. um, look, I think that what it did for me was it, it just made me become more of myself. It, it helped me to expand as a person. Um, you know, I mentioned um, we're kind of tied up emotionally quite a lot of the time. And... Um, when, when you engage in that extremely mysterious process of delving into your own creativity, and it really is mysterious, um, the things that, that happen have a far-reaching effect. They, they affect your health. They affect the way you interact with people. Mm. They affect your confidence. Um, and they can also have ripple effects on other forms of creativity. So I've had writers come to my art workshop and say, look, you know, afterwards tell me, look, I, I never did another painting, but my God, I'm writing so much more than I used <sighs> mm. to, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, so there is this amazing flow on effect from, from engaging in that creative uh, faculty, especially if we've, we've ignored it for a long time. Mm. Okay. So you're saying once you kind of let it loose, it can, it, it can meander in different directions. It, it does. It meanders. And, and perhaps I could give my husband's um, journey as a bit of an example. Mm. Um, he worked most of his life as a computer programmer and music was his hobby. Um, and he had a choir called the New Era Choir and um, he wrote and composed and the, the choir was his sort of vehicle for expression, the expression of his music. And he developed cancer and instead of, and he was very disabled from the cancer and he was given uh, six months, maybe two years at the very most um, to survive. And it was a very disabling time because the, the chemotherapy was constant and he was very sick. Instead of just um, sort of bowing to that, he, in the four years that he survived, he actually did five shows, five big shows <laughs> uh, with, with the choir and uh, the, the wider community. And um, each time we didn't know if he would make it through the show because he was so ill. And the performers, I remember, would say to me, do you think, do you think we're going to make it? Do you think the show will actually happen? And I would just say to them, you know what? 
it doesn't really matter. It's keeping him alive. Mm. And it did. And his last show was just six weeks before he died. And of course, we didn't know that it was going to be so soon. But um, it was he was he was transformed by his by partly by his creativity, partly by many other things. But um, that luminous being that I saw towards the end was definitely one that had been affected by using his creative um, processes to to serve to serve humanity in the best way he knew mm. how, which is to share his music. And uh, that's I remember watching that on the. Um ABC program about him where where I'm I think I'm writing saying that was the sellout show with over 900 tickets sold as well which is yeah absolutely yeah about a thousand people saw that show and they they gave him a standing ovation at the very end and Mm. you know he he got to thank people publicly for the gifts in his life and what a what a wonderful way to go yeah it's not so bad is it yeah and I think I'm writing saying that um that during that sort of process with your husband as well you you turned your creativity to writing more and more as well, did you not? Is that, is no, that, that, right? was, that was more after he died. After, um, okay. Uh, yeah. So he passed away about uh, 10 months ago now. Mm. And I thought that painting would be the thing that would um, help me in the bereavement process because it is my default form of um, creative expression. But uh, about two months after he died, I, I started writing more. Hmm. And I started writing about what I was going through. And, and just writing my, it for yourself or on a blog? No, or? well, well I, I, w- I was writing for myself in my journal, but yeah. I also have a blog on my website that yeah. I've had for a number of years. But um, I, I started writing about this, the, the feelings that I was going through. And to my amazement, um, that vulnerability that I was, that I was sort of expressing on, on this public forum it, it just drew people in, and I, I had no idea that it would be received with such, uh, with such love and such um, interest by people. And mm. the word, you know, inspiring kept, kept recurring, and, and, I was, and I was shocked by this because I was just, you know, writing, writing my life, really. And, mm. um, and it was enormously transformative for me, and I realized that it was actually the creative expression of writing particularly for an audience that was helping to heal me. Fantastic. And yeah. whilst, whilst we're on that topic, where, where can we find your blog? What's the best web address to go to? Well, um, malaniparker.com and just click on blog. Okay, so Malini, M-A-L-I-N-I, malaniparker.com. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Now, look, um, thank you so much for, for sharing that very personal story with us. And again, I think that illustrates very very nicely um, that uh, you can indeed, you know, once you sort of open the door to creativity, um, it can flow in a number of different directions. And as the story you said about the uh, writer who came to your painting course, I think that's so interesting as well and and did a course in painting and and it actually the creativity got was boosted in her writing, which is just funny how the world works, isn't it? Now, our wonderful editor Kelly popped a note on uh, Facebook a few days ago, knowing that we were going to be talking with you, asking if any of our community there had questions for you. And I've got one question which I'd like to throw at you okay. from Fiona Amara Singh. And her question is How do you keep that joy of creativity alive when you turn your creative passion into your business? 
It's all too easy for the love of your art form to get lost among the daily grind. Well, that's, a, again, a very familiar sort of story, isn't it? Where you it start, really, a, really is. start a creative business, get swamped in the sort of admin business side of stuff. So how do you keep it alive? You know, it's, it's actually a brilliant question. And I'm so sad to say I don't have like a really, really good answer to it. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> <laughs> but I have some thoughts, which, you know, I'm happy to share. Perfect. Uh, one of them is um, was actually answered by someone else on on Facebook, uh, who is a, a creative coach, and I think they said it's really important to allocate time for the the, the boring things, you know, the the um, the paperwork and all of that sort of stuff, and just schedule time for those things so that you you have blocks of time where you can create. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant, and mm. I'm pathetic at doing that. I am really bad at doing that. But, you know, it's an ongoing process that I'm learning. But for me, the thing that I am good at doing is um, self-care. And um, I think that when you make space in your life for um, the things that nurture you, so I'm not talking about the creative stuff. I'm just talking about the Mm self-care, the downtime, the walks along the river, the massage, the um, just taking time out. That actually frees your mind to be creative at other times. Hmm. Otherwise, you just find, well, I find anyway, that my mind is just locked up in the daily grind of life. And when I ignore the meditation, the prayer, the walks along the river, the, all of those sorts of things, um, everything becomes much harder. And hmm. when I don't ignore it, everything just loosens up and the creative stuff just flows really well. And I still enjoy the whole thing. And I just, I make, I find time for it. So it's a little bit more organic for me, but for some people, the scheduling thing would work really well. Mm. For other people like me, um, just making sure that you do make space for space, mm. for white space, as Kelly would call it, um, really helps. Yeah, and, and I, thank you. I think that's a great answer. And I think quite possibly a cocktail of the two would be yeah. potentially really ideal as well, wouldn't but it? And I think, yeah, and I think the important thing with this is, is that this issue doesn't just – um, confront people in creative businesses, of course. You know, I think in in anyone's business, there is there is hopefully at some point a, a, a high degree. We hope there is anyway of sort of enjoyment and a and a and a passion for the business, and that gets um, sort of confused and diverted and threatened in the same way as creativity. So again, I think the same the same applies there is space and uh, stepping away from your work and working in, a, in blocks like that is, yeah, is a great yeah. solution. And look, my, I'd like to move to a sort of a, a final question to you, if I may, sure. which is, um, and one that I ask most people when I, when I talk to them is, who's been the greatest influence on you and your work and what did that person teach you? Um, in recent times, I'd say my husband Greg was probably the greatest influence on me, but Probably the most formative one was my father. Hmm. Uh, he, he passed away some years ago, but he, he kind of had all the ingredients of the, um, the creative genius of the, the middle of the 20th century, you know, that, um, that madness, that uh, multi-talented sort of, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was quite an incredible man. And when he was alive, I, I didn't appreciate it. But when I look back now, I realize that... Um, the way he incorporated his creativity into his work and into his service was really quite a model for me. Mm. He was actually a dentist. Um, okay. Sounds kind of weird. Uh, he worked for the United Nations for the World Health Organization and 
advised governments in oral health. Um, but before he did that, he had a dental training school uh, where he had 100 uh, dental chairs and he, he trained dental therapists, dental nurses, um, using a model that no one else had. So people would come and, and examine this model from all over the world. And his main idea was that he wanted to reduce the anxiety that children had around dentistry. Mm. And so he used his creativity to, to do that. Um, the dental hospital had gigantic murals, Disney murals on the walls. Um, he taught his nurses to make puppets and, and do puppetry with the children. He, um, all of that sort of thing. And it was, just, it was just an amazing model of the seamless um, merging of one's creativity with one's uh, profession, which, which one could say perhaps isn't necessarily that creative. Uh, he was also a painter and a photographer, and um, I think I don't know the message he gave me that was that um, you, you can actually do this. You can use mm. your creativity in in any way, shape, or form, um, and use it for the service of humanity, which is kind of a big deal for me. That 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 idea. Fantastic. Well, I'm, on behalf of all of us, I'm very pleased that your father did show you that, and that um, it's inspired you to uh, to do it yourself and do the work that you're doing so obviously a, a teacher from a and we know where the mold was made <laughs> your father so uh, look um Marlene, thank you so much for joining us and uh, as we say anyone who'd like to look at more of your work and see uh, your paintings and your courses just head to Marlene. that's m-a-l-i-n-i dot com and there you'll also find Marlene Parker sorry com. well done <laughs> And uh, also find uh, Marlene's blog there. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Robert. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo. I'm Robert Gerrish, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're looking to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, you'll find heaps of resources at flyingsolo.com.au and a supportive community on our forums and Facebook. Thanks for listening. <laughs>